It's now time for our Bible reading. We're reading from 2 Kings 19. Starting at verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. turn the page. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God all over the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone, fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone Lord are God I hope you might have the uh, handout there. It's got the reading that Ben just um, gave us. And uh, we're going to spend this uh, next few moments looking at this prayer together. Let's uh, pray now. Uh, Father, quieten our hearts, help us to listen, help us to take in the uh, message and the words of this prayer as we spend these moments together. And uh, thank you again for the privilege we have of uh, having your word open this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, it just seems that elaborate scammers are becoming more and more brazen these days. Last week it was reported that um, some scammers uh, were, were bragging about a victim and how they were able to take a vacation on the money that they stole from the victim, something like $130,000. It uh, seemed to be all legit, for um, a message came from a bank to a business owner, uh, telling the business owner that his bank account had been somehow compromised. The message gave him a choice. You could either cancel your credit card or deposit the balance that is still in the bank account there into a new account. So the business owner apparently reckoned that um, the uh, situation would be better if he uh, kept his credit card because he needed to run his business on a daily basis. And so anyway, in the end, he um, ended up by transferring the $130,000 
into this new account over four days. And of course, the new account was run by scammers. After a week, uh, the fellow knew he'd been robbed and uh, he spoke with the scammers who apparently said this, it's been great dealing with you, Paul. Thank you. I'm probably going to take a vacation very soon. And when it comes to big scammers, they don't come much bigger in the ancient world than the kings of Assyria. Powerful rulers who not only take control of what's yours, but whole communities, societies and nations as well, so that they can enjoy a never-ending holiday under the sun. Sennacherib was one of these kings. Well done, Ben. We all say Sennacherib over morning tea. That's our, our homework. Sennacherib, there he is. One of these great kings, number one bully boy in the ancient world at the time. He um, declared war on nation after nation. During the 7th century, Judah's in the firing line. And uh, when we land here in 2 Kings 19, there's a town called uh, Lachish. It's the second most important city and it's just been taken by Sennacherib. In fact, all of the fortified cities of Judah had been taken and so here is king of Judah, Hezekiah, and uh, he knows that Jerusalem is next in the firing line. And attempting to somehow avert disaster, Hezekiah goes into the temple of Jerusalem and basically just uh, amasses an absolute fortune of the treasury that's in Jerusalem there in the temple and sends it to Zennacherib, hoping that he'll go away, he'll back off, you know, take the money and have your holidays, Zennacherib, go somewhere else. <laughs> Instead, Zennacherib sends a delegation to Jerusalem from Lachish. Lachish is about 28 miles from Jerusalem. I'm not sure what the compromise or the equivalent would be in this sort of... Tasmanian terms, but you know, you get the idea. 28 miles from Jerusalem is Lachish, and uh, he's got this enormous army, and uh, he's telling Hezekiah that nothing is going to stop him. And uh, as this delegation arrives to deliver this message of doom to Hezekiah's chief of staff and the officials there, they do it in such a way that the people of Jerusalem can eavesdrop and they can hear what's going on, every word, all designed to fill the people with dread and rid them of hope. And it went something like this, why trust the Lord? He can't save you. It was the Lord who sent king of Assyria to you, against you. Uh, what God is there who's been able to withstand the great king of Assyria and save its people? Don't be deceived by Hezekiah. He can't save you. And of course, hearing this message of imitation, of in, in, intimidation rather, Hezekiah tears his clothes 
covers himself with sackcloth and went into the temple. This time, he uses the temple the correct way for prayer. The way that King Solomon, remember, had asked that the temple would be used 200 years earlier, that it would be a house of prayer in times of disaster. The other thing that Hezekiah does is he seeks a word from the Lord. He sent some of the leading priests and officials to Isaiah the prophet. And he wanted to hear what God might have to say about what's going on in Jerusalem. For essentially, the king of Assyria was ridiculing the living God. Now just press pause for a moment in your minds and think about that for a moment. This is spiritual warfare. The king of Assyria strutting his stuff, saying the Lord of heaven and earth can't save his people. When the great king of Assyria is on the move. I seem to recall an episode going back a little way in Israel's history of a brute who thought he could ridicule the living God. Making intimidating claims about him and his people and he ended up with a rock in his head. And wasn't there a great rescue of the Lord's people in their captivity when that brute Egyptian, Pharaoh was his name, thought he could defy the one and only God? Hezekiah tells the prophet Isaiah in the chapter 19 here, maybe, Maybe the Lord has heard his name being ridiculed and asks Isaiah to pray, who replies like this, Don't be afraid, Hezekiah. Don't fear what the king of Assyria says. Don't be afraid of what might go wrong in the future. Don't be afraid of anything. So the Lord wanted Hezekiah to know that salvation is on the way. Sennacherib would return to Assyria and the king of Assyria would fall by the sword. But the question is when? In the meantime, before Isaiah's words come to pass, Sennacherib sends Hezekiah a bad news letter. He's putting into writing what he's been saying. Stop trusting in the Lord. A message to intimidate him, to scam him, to get control of Jerusalem. Hezekiah's had God's promise through Isaiah. But now he's got a bad newsletter as well. From someone who can really deliver on the threat. Is the world's most powerful army able to come in fury and overcome Jerusalem? At any moment, there's a massive problem here. As Christians, 
we face similar situations. Ours is a spiritual battle. We live in a nation dominated by greed, lust, murder. People break all Ten Commandments in a single day. There are failures in the church, moral failures, false gospels, petty conflicts, and some give up. And they stop attending. It could be easy to conclude, well, God is losing. He's not winning. And there's discouragements as we appear to be on the losing side of a spiritual battle. It might not be a Sennacherib. He's there breathing out threats as you trust in your commitment to the Lord who says, why bother really? But do you ever find yourself at times dismayed, even distressed by the shift from Christianity in our culture? And how this impacts our confidence in the Lord and our desire to serve him in, by what he says. There are many who have caved in, walked away from him for all sorts of reasons. And maybe some have even said, I believe, but aren't trusting in Jesus to save them from sin. Who aren't following Jesus as Lord. Listening to his word. Who aren't bothered to do something like Hezekiah did when some bad news message arrived threatening his life and the lives of God's people and he just spread it out before the Lord who sought to hear the Lord's word King Ezekiel did the best thing anyone could do when it's bad news and he went straight to the Lord's and laid the burden he had in his life before him and prayed. He didn't give up. And God's people don't give up. You persevere. And that's why you belong to a church. So you will belong so you will encourage one another to do the same. As Christians, shall we pray even when we do not see when that threat will end? When a wound that we are living with is going to be healed? We don't know when a problem we're facing is going to be solved. 
We're not to doubt these things that will be worked out in what the Lord has said will happen. Can you trust in your time of darkness or a burden, what you fear in your spiritual battle? Or even the lack of gospel progress that we seem to have as, as churches. And there's the Lord saying he will not leave you. Will we trust the Lord to answer our prayers in these things? To be with us in what we're facing. Now look at me at what uh, Hezekiah pleads. Here's a pattern for you to follow in your praying. First, he starts with the greatness of the Lord. Verse 15, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. You know, naturally when we've got a problem... We might come straight to the problem and the threat. Just lay that there. But isn't it so helpful as we read here how Hezekiah begins with praise to the Lord. With praise to the Lord. Who is exalted, he says. Who is the ruler of everything, he says. Who is the maker of everything. Who's got the massive power. Vast. Accessible. Able. You see, this is where growing in our knowledge of who God is can shape how we pray. Why why going to a conference like Equip is a great thing for the ladies of our church to be doing. Why belonging to a connect group to learn more about God's word equips you to know him. As you know your great God... So you will pray accordingly with praise and adoration. Praise shifts our focus from ourselves and our problems to God and his greatness. And isn't this exactly what Hezekiah needed? To be reminded of the greatness of God. After that little scammer, Sennacherib kept saying how great he was and how big a problem he is in perspective alongside the Lord. He's not as big as he thinks. When Jesus' disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he began with praise. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And true prayer is speaking truth about God to God to assure us and build us in God. Then second, Hezekiah's prayer explains the problem. Second, Sennacherib ridicules your greatness. Verse 16, give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. These are are bold requests, almost commands for the Lord to know the situation. However, he isn't dumb, is he? He isn't unaware. He's the living God who will not be mocked. 
And one of the great concerns we have as Christians is those who ridicule God by what they say and how they live. Who dismiss Jesus as the saviour they need, as irrelevant. And we might join with Hezekiah in prayer, give ear, Lord, and see and listen to this. What are you going to do about this, Lord? Because you know what is happening. And this is precisely where the gospel message shows us that he has and he does. What did Jesus say in Mark chapter 1? The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. As we trust in this and we stand our ground on this in our day, we do it as we call on people to hear it. And doesn't it just strike you as arrogance, the words that, how words can be, how perverse to think human words might actually ridicule the living God and people's choices every day show that there is little fear of him. Continuing to live this way puts a person on a collision course with the living God as it did with Sennacherib. And there's a second part of this problem, or the threat he had mentioned in the prayer, that the kings of Assyrian bulldoze everything. So again, look with me at verse 17. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Assyria might flex its muscles and overrun everything it wants. And it is true that no human-made God could ever save, or even save themselves, but in the case of Judah, the Lord is the living God. Uncreated, not made, not invented, not wood and stone. Assyria hasn't come up against this God before. And so Hezekiah's plea concludes the Lord alone, he is God in verse 19. Now, Lord our God, it says, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are Lord and God. In the British Museum, there is a collection showing the Assyrians leading their captives with chains through their jaws and hooks through their noses. But the day came of God's judgment when Assyrian captives themselves would be led captive. And just, the, just as the Lord said through Isaiah, but the Lord also heard and answered Hezekiah's prayer. Before all this took place, you read the account that there's an angel of the Lord just happens to be there on the doorstep of Jerusalem and struck down 185,000 of the Assyrians in the camp one night. Sennacherib returned to Nineveh 
And about 20 years later, in 861 BC, he was assassinated. Justice can appear slow by our standards, but God's justice is always sure. Hezekiah's plea was both concerned with the trouble at hand and the glory and reputation of the Lord. And if we cultivate more into our praying a passion and a desire for the Lord's honour and his glory and his reputation, as Hezekiah did, we can be sure it reaches the Lord and it anchors us. Lord, deliver us, save us. This is about your honour as much as it is about our salvation. And so we should pray more like this for those in our family, the people in our community who ridicule the Lord, sometimes by what they say, but often by their rejection of him for the Lord to save them. And so they would give him the praise and honour which is his due. Through Jesus, God's son, he provided the perfect sacrifice offered at the cross, which God has accepted. And Jesus did that to save us for the glory of God's name and his reputation in all the earth. The bad news for Jesus was the bad news of our sin. And this he suffered, enduring the condemnation of God. And Jesus responded to that bad news when he prayed for God to bring deliverance. In effect, he, he spread out the letter, the report, and that was the debt of our sin. And then he prayed, Father, into your hands. I commit my spirit. And like Hezekiah, all that Jesus had to go on was a promise of God when he prayed. And after the suffering of his soul, he would once again see the light of life. The promise of resurrection life. And God answered his prayer as he was brought from the grave and death to life. And because his prayer was answered today, we can come with our burdens, we can come with our problems. We can come with our threats. We can come with our anxious thoughts. To the one who sees and hears everything. Because he is our living Lord Jesus. What a great privilege.
we have today. Like the psalmist, we can say with confidence in whatever we are facing, God is our strength and refuge and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way, be still and know that I am God. Uplift him in the nations. God, the Lord of hosts, is with us evermore. May we, like Hezekiah, spread our concerns to our Lord, knowing he is able to deliver us from whatever the battle is we're facing. Whatever that trial is, and through it, it might also give praise to our great God and our Saviour.